for me was I had a situation where we weren't making any money. We were 10 years in this business. We weren't making any money. So I had to look at myself and say, okay, well, um, you always wanted to be successful and wealthy and you wanted to have that, but you're not going to have that doing this. So I started looking at other options. I went out and I didn't have an education. So I looked at all the things I could do. None of them appealed to me because basically they all went back to me trading my time for money. And um, I remember having a conversation with Chris and saying, dude, you know, we might not ever be rich doing this, but it's pretty cool when people like walk out of your retail store and then come back in six months and they've lost 100 pounds or they've lost 50 pounds and they're crying and they're so fucking uh, grateful for what you taught them and how you helped them through that process. That's cool. And, and, I, and I, we kind of came to a conscious decision where we're like, well, that is cool. And instead, <clears throat> instead of us going out and trying to make money, we'll just stay here doing this because that's a fulfilling career. And so we kind of like gave up on our dreams of becoming successful business guys. But a funny thing happened when we quit focusing on the sales and we started saying, okay, now let's just replicate this, that what we liked, right? The person who came in and actually changed their life. When we replicate, we had a conversation, we said, okay, well, let's just try to replicate this as much as possible. Well, now all of a sudden <clears throat> we're servicing the customer the way that they wanted to be serviced because we just flipped a little perspective in our brain and we grew 100% in sales five years in a row. Then we started first form. First form started growing, you know, and all these things snowballed off of just a, a per perspective, a switch of perspective of our actual intent about the process of selling, right? So no longer was selling, now it's helping. <clears throat> So here, here this, this is pretty fascinating for me in, in hearing this. So you talk about when that, that moment switched, where mm -hmm. it turned to all relationships. Mm -hmm. That's on the business side. Mm -hmm. I, I want everybody, just think of where you are right now. Whatever excuses, doubts, uncertainties, fears are holding you back from maybe recognizing that opportunity is right in front of you. And it's so powerful to hear that because we all have that moment where you guys made a choice to switch it. You could have been like, yeah, relationships matter, but man, we got to move product. Right. But you didn't do that. Right. Your brother, right? Growing up in Indonesia, I mean, how do you even come up with an idea to be here running across America? Well, so um, we grew up on, in Indonesia, and it's just such a beautiful place. You walk on the beaches, and it's just pristine beaches, but there's so much plastic on the beach. Um, so we actually started 10 years ago organizing beach cleanups. So we'd go to the beach every Saturday, clean up the beach. It was just me and my brother, and then... Um, after a while, we ended up convincing our friends to come, and it was a movement that grew to 50 people, 100 people, a few hundred people coming to the beaches every weekend to clean up the beaches. And then fast forward a few years, we switched our efforts to visual storytelling and kind of came up with the idea of combining adventure and the environment. Um, so this two years ago, actually, we um, came up with our first project to kayak. So we Googled most polluted river in the world, which was in Indonesia. It was the Chitaram River and we decided to go down this river on the very materials that pollute it. So we built two plastic bottle kayaks, oh um, my made a video series about it, and published the videos on Facebook. Overnight, the videos went completely viral. Um, four weeks after going down the river, we got a letter from the Minister of the Environment saying that he's gonna fully clean up the river. Um, three months later, we fly back to the river and meet with the Indonesian president um, to announce the full seven-year cleanup of the river and that he's going to hire 7,000 military soldiers to clean it up. So we're just celebrating the one-and-a-half-year anniversary. 
So this kind of like, this was a, the, the last thing we would imagine. We'd never thought that would happen, but it kind of made us realize that crazy visuals or a crazy idea can go a really long way. And I think that no idea is crazy enough when it comes to the environment. So what can I do in the US is like running across America just seemed like a good one. It's as far as when I got burns myself, it was age nine. Like you mentioned, 99% of my body damaged. 87% was third degree. Less than a 1% chance of surviving the first night. And then the doctor added onto that by saying, and those odds will never go up. So it's not a matter of, well, if it gets through the first night, that's the danger field. No, it's done. It's just done. And I remember, even as a child, knowing that it was done, I had kind of a, a conflicting ideas going on in the back of my mind. Number one, I was terrified about how my father would react, because I just blew up his house. <laughs> and I knew the old man was going to be furious. I knew I let him down. I knew he was at the office. I knew he'd come home, see what I did, and kill me. So if the fire didn't kill me, Dad was going to do it. Like, <laughs> done. And he walks into the room, and in my office, I have a picture, picture of the prodigal son, but he walks into this emergency room, he comes right over to me, points down and says, John, look at me when I'm talking to you. So now he's got my attention, I know I'm done. And then he says, I have never been so proud of anyone in my entire life. And my little buddy today, I am so proud to be your dad. And then my dad goes, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Ben, I crossed my arms and shut my eyes. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, <sighs> nobody told my dad what happened. <laughs> the old man doesn't know, man. Maybe I can get away with it. And yet he does know. And so there's this, this grace and there's this love element. And then right behind my dad comes my mom. And this is the turning point for me. And you have a connection with your mother too. And it's uh, one of my favorite stories to think about and the way she influenced your life and how she continues to influence your life. Well, me too. My mom influenced my life at age nine. When she walks into this room, she takes my right hand in hers, pats my bald head, and then she goes, I love you. And for me as a kid, that's when I realized it was serious. Like before that, I thought it was all about the material, like the house or my skin might get damaged. Like it wasn't about like life and death. It was just this stuff out there. And so I realized finally, like, this is serious if they're both saying this. So I looked up at her and I said, Mom, knock it off with the love. Am I going to die? And I assumed she would say, no, you're not going to die. Please. Uh, you're going to be fine. And instead, she took my hand in hers. She patted back my bald head, balding head. And then she goes, John, look at me. I look up at my mom and she goes, do you want to die? I go, no, Mom, I don't want to die. And she goes, then take the hand of God, you walk the journey with him, and you fight like you never fought before. And so on January 17th, 1987, as a nine-year-old kid with my father on this side, my mother over here, a little boy literally burned on his entire body, decided to take the hand of God, quit making excuses back to your earlier point, and trust that tomorrow's going to show up if, you, if you're bold enough to fight for it. Um, I think that most people don't set themselves up for success because they don't go into the details. They don't go into little nuances. And um, I think that whether it's basketball, business, life, if you have somebody that not only reverse engineers kind of everything that's going on in your life and, and rewires, you know, mentality, but you always talk about the daily disciplines, set up your daily disciplines to set yourself up for, for success, then you're going to really have a chance to not only get to where you want to go, take you a little past it because there's so many times where players will come to me and say I want this I'm very realistic to them and say hey listen I can get you there but not the way you want not doing the things you're currently doing 
and probably not in the time you want, but if you give me an extra two, three years, and if you do an extra X amount of workouts and put an X amount of hours on your own, I can get you even past there. And it's fun when you're honest, you're transparent, you're kind of, uh, you know, all in, and uh, you know, there's two ways I always say that you can make change. You can gradually change or you can shock the fucking system. And for me, I'm all about shocking the system, going all in and actually getting real results that transform lives. For me, man, I think it really comes from like an, an underdog perspective. Like uh, you talk about the sport hernia and the stuff where I'm thinking about back when I was undrafted trying to make a team and stuff like that. It's that thought of people doubting and the stuff that would like keep, It'd be like laying in bed at night and stuff just keeps you up because you're thinking of stuff that just you want to accomplish so bad because you know what you're capable of, right? And uh, knowing that I've been doubted, especially like I say at the beginning of my career, um, and even, even now, like I'm a free agent right now, like I'm thinking a lot about my transition with football more so than just making a team and being on a team. Like I know what I can bring to the football field, but now I have this, this idea that keeps me up at night. Like I have to train, like I'm going to have to transition. That's going to happen no matter what. That's inevitable. And, um, it keeps me up knowing like, it's not that anybody says this stuff, but I just had this idea in my mind that chip on your shoulder, so to speak of people thinking that, football players are an athlete or in a box and they're not, you know, once football runs out, like I hope you saved your money and me knowing in my mind, knowing what I've done with that avenue and trying to find something else because I know what I can bring to the table value wise. And um, it's, it's kind of, it all stems around that underdog mentality of people doubting and you just know what you can bring to the table. And I, I'm just, that kind of stuff always keeps me up and I'm always trying to find ways to tap into my potential and also as I'm doing that and once I'm doing that, bringing that, taking that value and putting it into, say, whether it's my teammates or just other people's lives. So when I lived in Manhattan, Kansas, I got to watch a young man play football for four years in high school. And he was so good that I didn't think he was trying very hard. I thought, this kid doesn't have a work ethic. I was wrong. He was just so heads and shoulders above everybody else. He was, a, he was a, a man among boys. Well, he was recruited to Kansas State University by legendary coach Bill Snyder. And uh, he, this kid had played quarterback in high school. But Snyder wanted him to play defensive back. And people were like, what, are you crazy? That's, that's crazy. And then eventually, Snyder said, no, I don't want you to play defensive back. I want you to play, uh, I want you to play wide receiver. Well, he'd never played it before. But found out from the paper that when he went in to see Snyder, they had the talk, and so somebody, somebody said to this young man, he says, so what did you say to Coach Snyder when he said, I want you to play wide receiver? He said, I said, yes, sir. And he ended up playing. His first year was a little rocky. His second and third year were all conference. He was drafted by the Green Bay Packers and was a pivotal player in, in the Super Bowl. His name was Jordy Nelson. And it all stemmed from this fact that he said, yes to a person he trusted and was in a position of authority. And what I see um, in all of, you know, the, 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 the movers and shakers that I've experienced in the last, you know, six years or so, is they have an attitude that says, yes. Never got that perfect game because I could always go back and I can look at something that I did during that game. I, I could have a game where I have eight to 10 catches over 200 something yards, three touchdowns. And I go back and I look at the film, I said, Jerry, you gotta make that block. You know, that block right, right there could have been a block to spring Roger Craig or Tom Rathman. 
So it, it was always about trying to be uh, precise on the field. And, and uh, never had that perfect game, but it just kept me motivated to continue to work hard. So here's what's really interesting. We were chatting about the, the intentionality leading up to a game or those two-minute drives or those, those moments where people are locked in. It takes leaders to get into that mindset to do what you did. It was really interesting, if you don't mind sharing how the, the audience would quiet down and how intentional and focused you guys would all get yeah. together. So Super Bowl twenty three guys on the final drive. And, you know, that's something I'll never forget because everything is on the line. No one is going to remember the loser. You got to move the ball over 80 yards downfield. One mistake, ball game is over, you lose the Super Bowl. So Joe came into the huddle, Montana came into the huddle. And, then, you know, of course, I just told Joe, throw me the ball. That's all you got to do. No. <laughs> just joking. Joe came into the huddle, and, and he, he, he called out two plays. And, and at that time, during a two-minute drill, there's two plays. You got to be able to move fast, and, and everything is about timing. And once we broke the huddle, everything went completely quiet. Because I'm so focused, I know exactly what I have to do. Every catch is an important catch. Every route is an important route. And we were able to move the ball all the way downfield. And John Taylor made that catch. Uh, then all of a sudden, I heard the crowd. So it's all about being in the zone. Water, all these things. I want to know from you, what is, what is that fire? What is it that you turn to? What is it that you think about on those days, man, where those doubters are coming at you, the haters are coming at you, and you know you got to pull it together for yourself and for your teammates? Yeah, I think when I think about the, the burn... It's not just one thing I think that truly motivates me. I think there's a lot of surrounding factors there, but the biggest thing that I can really comes to my head, my first initial reaction is always my family. I got the, the best wife in the entire world. I got the best uh, little girl, the bean. She's so, she's the me? best. And um, anytime I have haters, it's really important for people to know. First off, if you, if you have haters, then you're obviously doing something right. All right, because no, 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 no one's ever gonna tweet go. at somebody that they don't give a shit about, right? <laughs> so I, it's important. That's always a compliment when they're saying mean things about you or um, nice things about you. At least they're talking about you. So that's always a good thing. But my burn is definitely um, my my family and how they've always had my back. And I, I talk about all the time. My wife, you know, the minute I met her, I made three Pro Bowls in a row, and she's just she motivates me every single day to be a great person, and she challenges me so much to to do uh, my self work to, to to work on myself and every day be you know more spiritually sound and and stronger for those you know whether it's for my family or for football or any of those things so the burn runs deep man it runs really deep and there's a lot of, there's a lot of other things but uh, the main thing is definitely my family so number one uh from our sophomore years in high school we played each other seven times mm -hmm. Uh, we were 0 for 7 against you guys, <laughs> and uh, I don't think you ever broke a sweat. <laughs> I think you dunked about 40 times in yeah. those seven games, and the closest we ever came was uh, 13 points district finals at Ledoux, our senior finals. year, and what I remember is there was one point in the game where I had to pick you up at half court and I never called switch faster my entire <laughs> life. 
Yeah, I love what I do, and I love the impacts and the impact that I'm trying to to make on young people and our coaches as well. And, and it starts with with my family. I've got a wonderful wife that is a unbelievable coach's wife that uh, uh, is with me every step of the way. And I've got three wonderful kids. One that's helping us on on a staff here, and and two other high school kids that uh, uh, I I just see them in everything I do. Of you know, it's all about family for me, and I'm a big believer. Family's first, and that's that's Kansas State too. That's families first, but uh, uh, they know that uh, I've been put on this earth to do what I do, and that's to, to you know, obviously win games, be a great football coach, but more importantly, where are these guys at 5, 10 years, 15, 20 years down the line? It's so cool for me to, to receive texts and, and calls from people I coached, players I coached at Western Illinois in the early 90s or Northern Iowa in the, in the early or mid-2000s. It's just fun to have those relationships because that's what it's all about. You tap into it because you realize like you have a gift every single day, every single day. And I always, t it's weird because, you know, I talk about death a lot. I'm cool with it. That's why, you know, a lot of people are, they don't, it's kind of like the EBGB land for them. For me, it's like, you're going to die or, you know, I, I support, we support an organization in Haiti and I, I look about the gift, the gift that we have every single day, clean water, I have the opportunity to eat uh, healthy food, make great decisions. That's, I have an opportunity to do that. And so whenever I get into my weird, dark zone, I think about the example, again, that I'm going to leave my kids, and I think about how blessed I am to be and have the opportunity of who I am. And I can play the poor me card in my brain, or I can wash them out and keep moving. I always call it right foot, left foot. Like whenever I get into that I'm, I want to quit zone, or I'm fucking stupid for doing this, or why the fuck did I do this, you know, I, I really I tap back to myself and I say, remember, this is, this is your duty. You have a gift. This is part of that journey, and this is an opportunity that you have. So most people don't have the opportunity to do what I do every day. And so for me to, to tap out of that, I, f I think is, is, one, it's weak. Two, I like being in that place, man. That place is fun for me because I battle with myself, and that's the toughest battle. The toughest battle you'll ever fight in your entire life is the person that looks back at you in the mirror because you're the first person to quit on yourself. You know what? Easy way doesn't build character. You know, if there was an easy way, there's no easy way. You know, there's no elevator to success. You got to take the stairs. And if there was an easy way, you know, let's just say you inherited stuff. You know, let's just say this was once given. It wouldn't mean anything. I love the work. I love the process. I love to be able to become not, it's not about the Lamborghini. It's not about the Ferrari. It's not about the mansion. It's about who you become in the process. And that's what's more important. When I, when I thought all this stuff would make me happy. But you know what I found out lately? Not too long ago, when everything I have is all paid off, there's nothing I owe on anything. And I'm like, you know what? If this all taken away tomorrow, I'd be fine as long as I can grow and contribute.